What's your name? Um, Logan Wood. Logan. Nice to meet you. Why do you want to get baptized today? Um, well, I was reading in the book of Acts, and it was talking about, like, um, Paul and all the rest of the disciples going out and preaching, and it said they were preaching boldly. And, um, I felt like I, like, I kept on feeling like I wanted to also be bold about my faith with God. And I was praying, like, what could I do to be bold about it? And then I went to church, and they were like, we're doing baptisms at the lake. And I thought to myself, that's, that's it. Like, it's a bold declaration of my walk with God in front of other people. So that's, I decided that I wanted to do it now. Yeah. Yes. seeing our students even just reading the word. I, I was, this week we were you know, thinking about dripping some of those baptism stories in, some of the testimonies that they gave underneath the test, the tent that, uh, that week. And Justice is the one who put that together. He's just such a good heart. Isn't Justice a great heart? Just a love for the Lord, just a worship leader. But he put that video together and he was asking, what are you speaking on this week? And I said, I'm speaking on boldness. It's like, oh, I got the perfect one. Logan, he was reading the book of Acts, which is what we're studying right now. We're in our, our third week of the book of Acts. And he was looking at the apostles in their boldness. And he was like, in that boldness, he's like, I want to take that step in my walk with God. And I want to get baptized. Like, that, that's just so cool. Boldness. You feel like you're a bold person. You feel like you have insecurity and, and fear. You have confidence. You have bravery inside. One of the marks of the early church was just this insane boldness that came into them. That The boldness that the disciples didn't even have 50 days prior to the day of Pentecost. Even being with Jesus, fled you know, from Jesus, betrayed Jesus, left him other than John at the cross. No boldness. They couldn't stand up for the life of them. Somehow like 50 days later, there's just these people filled with a spirit of confidence and bravery. One thing I've noticed the last few years, especially since COVID, was this loss of like God-honoring, healthy boldness. I just feel like so many Christians got tamed and got caged. I don't know if you've noticed that about yourself or others. I've watched pastors get tamed and get caged. Like our world comes against them. And there's all sorts of things coming against them. And they don't want to speak out about things. They don't want to stand up for things. They just want to blend into the scenery. They want to kind of ride under the radar. They don't want to be in the middle of controversy. And so things get watered down. Where's the boldness? Where's the biblical boldness? I'm convinced the worst division our media and government and culture spawns is not between us and our fellow man it's the division they create inside of our own hearts and minds. We become a dazed and confused church in a broken and corrupt world. They start making you feel like reality's not reality and what you believed, and they start making you question your memory even, and like, am I just, I, I just losing my mind? Am I going crazy? 
And actually, Jesus' half-brother, James, in chapter 1, verse 8, talks about the opposite of boldness. He says, a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. If you can get a person double-minded and feel like I'm in a civil war in my head, there's an instability and an insecurity and an inadequacy that fills your mind. This disorientation, this self-doubt, this hesitancy, this unsurety in your life. We become a dazed and confused church in a broken and corrupt generation. And through gaslighting by our culture and the news, We've just lost our nerve as a church. Gaslighting someone is to work to convince them that something obvious isn't actually true, to cause people to question things that are basic common sense, to live in a fear of offending people and then losing people continually, being bullied into submission through sort of a mass formation. And then we're silenced and, and we're suppressed and we're subjugated in a culture. We lose our boldness for fear of being canceled or censored, harassed or humiliated through public doxing or attack. And it's created the very antithesis of the boldness of the church and a boldness in society. And it's bred, I don't know if you felt these things in yourself, like fear and self-consciousness, confusion and questioning ourselves and insecurity and inadequacy and a silence. It's silenced us. And there's a seclusion. There's this constant caution. And there's a second guessing, this withdrawal and isolation that leads to depression and anxiety. And it's hard to be a lively, powerful church when these are the prevailing and dominating spiritual realities of the body of Christ. But the early church in Acts was known most notably for its unusual, uncanny boldness. They were an outlier in a culture of legalism and authoritarianism. They had indomitable joy and love and freedom, even in the midst of suffering and persecution. They had buoyancy, even in a culture that came against them and rejected them. And this boldness is most pronounced in Acts chapter 4, as Peter and John stand before the Sanhedrin with confidence and compassion in the face of opposition and threats. My favorite verses in all of Acts is Acts chapter 4, 13. This was actually the verse when I was just a growing, budding, fledgling little preacher boy at age 21 at Baptist Bible College. As I was learning how to preach, I went to homiletics class, and homiletics class is to teach you how to give a homily, which is what you're listening to right now. This is a homily. Okay, And so I'm in homiletics class, and we had to preach our first message, and this was the first message I ever preached at age 21, and they said it had to be 10 minutes long, and I was like, how in the world am I going to talk for 10 minutes straight about a Bible verse? I've come a long way. <laughs> You're like, I wish you would preach less long these days, and God would work in your heart to uh, bite your tongue when it should be over. Well, God may answer your prayers in this particular message today. Age 21, my first message, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and realized that they were unlearned or unschooled and ordinary men, they were astonished and took note that these men had been with Jesus. 
was not a bold guy at the time. Had a fear of public speaking. In fact, a phobia of public speaking. And I constantly was asking God, please, God, give me boldness. Give me fearlessness. Give me courage because I've been with you. Boldness. Uh, the word for boldness in the Greek is parousia. It means freedom or confidence or openness, like nothing to hide, nothing to fear kind of boldness, where we get the word intrepid or just dauntless. That's what these guys were. And I think we've defined boldness differently in the modern-day evangelical church to our own peril. We can think of it as defiant or isolationist or separatist or angry or combative or just sort of this political zealotry that's filled the church with sort of a Christian nationalism. And, and we become what sort of fighting fundamentalists. I remember they called us growing up in the church I grew up in fighting fundies. We're known more for what we're against than what we're for. This isn't biblical boldness. And I've seen Christians on the right and on the left in the name of boldness assume a posture of brash, bombastic, belligerent, boisterous, bloviating, braggadocious, bullying blowhards. And that's the most repugnant kind of Christianity in my opinion. Brash in the sense that we become angry and reactive and radioactive, bombastic in the sense that we're ranting and raving, belligerent and that we're aggressive and quarrelsome Christians, boisterous as we're just loud and obnoxious, bloviating in that we're decrying and declaiming Christians, braggadocious in that we're proud and condescending Christians, bullying in that we're pushy and militant Christians, and these blowhards, which are the definition of that is a boastful gas con, which is a senseless windbag of hollow, empty words. Paul said in Romans chapter 10 that you have a zeal without knowledge. You have all this zeal but it's zeal that comes from a lack of knowledge. This is not boldness. This is repugnant. This is off-putting. This is not salt and light. This is not attractive. And when the church becomes this, and they call it biblical boldness, they're dead wrong. It isn't this mousy silence, and it's not this militant violence. That's not boldness. They actually had those kinds of people in Israel. Most of the disciples were political zealots. So God was constantly trying to get the zealotry out of them politically and to cause them to be kingdom-minded with biblical boldness. It's totally different. So when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, in studying this Greek word parathesia, this word is something where when I studied, there were five prevailing words that summed up the essence of biblical boldness. There, were, there was the word free, secure, open, true, and calm. They were free. They weren't bound with people pleasing and bats in their belfry. There was just a freedom, a liberation that happened inside of them through the transformation of God's spirit. They were secure. They, did, they weren't insecure. They, they knew who they were in Christ. They were open. They, they were transparent. 
They didn't keep silent. They were open with their lives. They were true, which means they were truly good. They, they held to truth inside and they were calm. I heard somebody say this week, calm is actually a superpower. When everyone else is going nuts, calm people, that's a superpower in our culture. Biblical boldness isn't cocky, it's confident. It's not arrogant, it's assured. It's not haughty, it's humble. The early church was in a word, brave. But I love this verse too because it actually shows what I believe to be the best form of evangelism. It says, when they saw and then realized, they were astonished and took note that these men had been with Jesus. What I didn't fully know to do in homiletics class at the time, though they were teaching me, is to look at the original language and the Greek words for all these things. So sort of learning, I'm going to go from sort of a preaching mode, and if you don't mind here for a second, you can get out your notebook. I'm going to teach you for a second, because I think this is the way of Jesus as it pertains to how do you share your faith with people so that they ask, actually ask you about it. Peter said, I think it's in 1 Peter 3.15, always be ready to give an answer for everyone that asks of the hope that's within you, but do so with gentleness and respect. Living a life where people are actually asking you about it because they're watching your life. They saw, then they realized, were astonished, and then they took note. The first word is saw, it's theoreo, which means to watch from a distance as a spectator. At first, people are suspicious, as they should be, because the church has been hypocritical. They don't actually practice what they preach. They don't actually walk what they talk. So people watch your life for a while. My grandpa watched our life and our family and my mom who got saved until he was 94 years old and gave his life to Christ. Sometimes it doesn't happen overnight. Your family doesn't get it. Your friends don't get it. Your employees and employers don't get it. The people that are around you don't get it. They're watching you for crying out loud. You're the only Bible that they're reading. And so they watch from a distance. Then it says they realized. This is the word katalambano, which means to understand or to comprehend where you're like, man, I'm starting to like, put like two and two together and I'm connecting some dots here between like seeing something and I'm beginning to understand a little bit more and then they're astonished which is thamatso which means to view with admiration curiosity or intrigue you live it long enough and they move beyond I'm starting to connect dots do I actually admire your way of life since Jesus was the way, the truth, and the life, there is a way of living truth that brings life. And they were seeing this way of living the truth that was bringing life. They were astonished. They marveled is another word for this. And they were like, I'm curious about that. That's admirable until the end is epigonosco. Gnosko is kano. We have kano. It's gnosko, which means to know. They started to acknowledge and believe, which is to say, I get it now. Like this is different. 
something free and secure and open and true and calm is bringing about this kind of traction in the other people's lives around you. This is biblical boldness. It looks like the fruit of the spirit, free, secure, open, true, and calm. Love, joy, peace, gentleness, patience, faithfulness, long-suffering, self-control. I'm seeing this in your life and it's, it's causing me to be on a journey with you in this text. What is the origin of that kind of boldness? I knew who you were and you're not who you were. Tell me about that. I remember it was two weeks ago, I was out at the garage doors. And I met a guy and he's like, yeah, yeah, this is, this is one of my first times here. I'm coming because one of my friends who I knew before has been coming to this church. And, and I know him and I got some tough things going in my life. And I'm not really a churchy guy. And he swore a couple times about the church. And he's like, Man, I thought this church was going to sort of, I was going to light on fire when I came into the church, that sort of a thing. And he had tattoos all over his arms, which is about half of our church, you know. And uh, he said, the reason I'm here is because my friend has been coming to this church. And I know who my friend was. He was sort of a, a guy in a hard place, a difficult place. And he was in a broken place. And he's come here and he's different. And if God can change his life, maybe he can change my life. That's what he was talking about. But it wasn't just a boldness that was born out of like this extraordinary talent. It doesn't say these people, they, they were sort of realizing that they were talented and, and educated people. It says they realized they were unschooled and ordinary people. It wasn't this extraordinary talent or stellar intelligence or charismatic personalities, it was quite the opposite. These words are agrammatos, which is we, where we get the word grammar or no grammar. They had horrible grammar. They were illiterate, unlearned, and stupid, and they were ordinary. You might know the root word here, idiotes. They're idiots. So these people with bad grammar who are idiots, and the idiot meant common or simple or regular or normal people. What I love about this passage is the early church didn't like explode with boldness. It wasn't because pastors and preachers were bold. It's because everyday normal people were bold. Everyday men and women. I call them the Larry Lucys and the Larry Larry, you know, the Lil Larrys. Lil Larry and Lil Lucy, God was doing something in their life. Everybody expects Pastor Jason, Reverend Man of the Cloth Jason, to live this kind of life, to speak these kind of words, to be open and bold and free and secure. But when you, God's people, realize his spirit's in me too, I don't have special access to God. I don't have a VIP pass. You have the same God, you can pray the same prayers, you can do the same things. And when they see that happen in every day, unschooled, ordinary people, they take note, something different is going on here. And when our church is greenlit instead of gaslit in this culture, and they realize this is accessible for me, I can become this, I can live this out, man, that's where the world change. Word gets around when little Larry and little Lucy start doing this stuff, not Pastor Jason. It's a boldness born out of humility and humanity, not degrees 
and titles. It goes on in Acts chapter 4 and says, when they saw this and realized and were astonished, they took note that these men had been with Jesus. You start to become like the people you're around. You really do. I was into sports and it was even something where I would play up to the talent or down to the talent of our opponent. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You come in, you're like, oh, this person lost to the person we beat by 20 points. We're just going to go in there. And that mentality of playing up to or down to the talent that, that you're playing against, it's the same thing. When you're around Jesus, when you've been with Jesus, spending time with Jesus, you actually become like him. I don't know about you. I'm not bold in and of myself, but I have the Holy Spirit inside of me. I serve a bold God. That bold God lives inside of me. I become bold. I'm not naturally compassionate and caring and loving and filled with grace and mercy, but I got a, I got a loving God and I've got a really compassionate, caring God inside of me. And, and what was crazy here is their deduction based on all of this stuff is they'd been with Jesus. What they didn't know based on Acts is when they were with Jesus, they weren't these kinds of people. It wasn't until they were filled with the Spirit and God wasn't with them that he was in them that they became bold for him. Further down in Acts chapter 4, we read of this church feeling the pressure heat up against them, the threats. And they didn't combat pressure with pitchforks and picket signs and protests. They combated the mounting pressure with, get this, prayer. Prayer, that was their weapon. In chapter 4, verse 24, it says, When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Verse 29 shares the prayer, Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand and heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. I think in, in the American church, when we're going through problems... A lot of times we're actually praying, God, get me out of the struggle. Get me out of the problem. Get me out of the threat. They didn't pray for that. They said, God, you consider the threats and enable us. They didn't pray for God to disable the threats. They prayed for God to enable them. They didn't pray for God to take away the problems. They prayed for supernatural power to get through the problems. They remembered that Jesus said in his high priestly prayer in John chapter 17, my prayer is not that you would take them out of the world, but that you would protect them from the evil one. God's goal for our life is not to take us out of struggles and controversy and criticism and, and persecution even at times or tribulation or trials that you're going through. The prayer they prayed is, God, even if you don't take it away, give us the power to go through this, God. Stretch out your hand and give me the power to go through what I'm going through if you're not going to take it away. The church of the New Testament prayed. They broke away. And they prayed. 
I was reading through the book of Acts again this week, and in Acts 16, I was struck with something that was good for me to actually know, because I've gotten away from this in my life. It said, on the Sabbath, they went outside the city gate to the river where expected to find a place of prayer. There was a place where they went to pray. In Acts 16, 16, they said, as we're going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl. There's a, there's a place where they would go to pray. Which for me is good because I think I've kind of fallen prey to sort of a, a new ethic of prayer. This, this new I, a theology of prayer is that prayer is just like my life is a prayer to God throughout the day. I, I live my life as a prayer, a sweet aroma to God. The incense that floats up to God. Or, you know, I just practice the presence of Christ. Or, I pray without ceasing. That's all fine and good. But do you actually pray? They lifted their voices up together in prayer. They would go to a place of prayer. Out of all the spiritual dis disciplines, I love reading the word. I love journaling. I love sharing Christ with people through evangelism. I love discipling people. One of the hardest things for me is to pray, to actually get to a place, sit down with God and just open my mouth and my mind and say, God, I want to listen to you. I want to connect with you. Anybody know what I'm talking about? It's just hard for me to do that. And it's really hard to pray inside of my mind because my mind's going all over the place. So I can start really, God, okay, I'm going to pray, I'm going to pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I just thank you for this day. Thanks for all that you are. You've been so good to me, God. And I just pray just as I move into the day and all of a sudden my mind just floats and I'm praying for you know, beanie babies smoking cigars and just weird things are floating around and just weird stuff. And God's like, where did you go, bro? <laughs> so I actually have to pray even when I'm in my car. It's that's sort of my place of prayer if there's any on the way to and from stuff. I'm praying out loud in my car to God. If for no other reason to have a stream of consciousness where I don't get distracted, but I'm not good with just pulling away throughout the day and just getting here even to work. I can dive right into my Bible and I can do devotions. I can dive right into emails. I heard a guy today, he's like, man, my wife, she gets up and she just prays. And he was saying, she'll get up out of bed and she'll just lean against the wall and she'll just pray for people, for our kids, and all this stuff. And he's like, you know what? I wake up really early too and I just go work out. And I was like, bro, you're talking the masculine way of life. We got to go do something, get our hands on something, grab some steel, push it up. If prayer was steel, if prayer was a, a list to get done, to-do list, we are active people. We're hands-on people. Prayer isn't always hands-on, so this is difficult. My wife is amazing at this. She gets up, the alarm goes off, my wife kind of goes into the bathroom, comes out of the bathroom, goes out into our living room, sits on the couch, opens her Bible, starts praying for her family. A lot of times in the morning she'll send me, here's how I prayed for you today. And it puts me to shame. Are we people of prayer? Tony, our children's pastor, last year, I've shared this before, 
We've prayed before meetings and after meetings and around here on staff. But he said, our staff doesn't get together and pray together. So on Thursday mornings, 9.30, every, every week we gather together in the green room. And there is a place of prayer that we go to lift our voices to pray for you and our community and each other. A place of prayer. Do you have a place of prayer? The early church did. And when they got together, it says when they heard this, they raised their voices together. So this whole idea of just even praying by yourself. No, they would get together. Consider their threats. Enable your servants, Lord. We're crying out to you. They raised their voices together in prayer. Do you raise your voice together with your wife and with your kids? Do you pray? Do we pray? Are we a praying church? Oh, we've got a, a prayer team. Our church has an amazing prayer team. It's like 34 people that pray for this church. That's great that we got a team. We got to be a praying church if we want the power of God. Can't just have a prayer team doing it all for us. Oh, we've got a hospitality team as well, so we don't have to be hospitable in our church. No. And what happens, we farm things out in the church, I've noticed, to teams and farm them out to staff members. It's like, we got a staff member that does discipleship, so we got a discipleship pastor. We don't have to do discipleship. What, what do you want to do, hire an encouragement pastor because we don't want to encourage people anymore around here? We'll start hiring encouragement pastors and a smiling pastor because we don't want to smile. You don't farm things out to pastors and to teams. We become these things. We want to be a praying church. I've been trying to teach our boys to prayer, which is like herding cats. It's a goat rodeo. And one of the things that I've been doing in the last year is before bed, we'll go up and pray. And their prayers are just, they get rote. They're the same things. Anybody know, do you pray with your kids? At first it was really cool when they're little, they pray things, you know, that are just like, wow, out of the mouth of babes, he has ordained praise. You know, this is a beautiful thing. I remember when Caleb prayed one time and he was praying John 3.16. He'd learned it in Kid Zone. And he was like, for God so loved the world that he gave his only forgotten son. And I was like, I'm preaching that sometime. That's amazing. But now their prayers are, dear Jesus, thank you for the day. Help tomorrow to be a good day. Anybody know how? I don't know who taught him that, but that's just thanks for the day. Hope tomorrow is a good day. And then it's really a Christmas list after that. God, tomorrow I hope dad will take us here. And I hope tomorrow we can go to Burger King. And I hope tomorrow, you know, dad will play Fortnite with us. And it's more of a wish list after that. In Jesus' name, amen. And I'm like, nah, I, I just, I want to teach you how to pray. There's a thing, since we're in the book of Acts, it's apropos for me to teach you the Acts structure of prayer, because some of you don't even know how to pray or where to start. This could be a great way for you to start as well. I've been teaching this to my sons. It's the Acts model. It's A-C-T-S, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and a big word, supplication. And I've been teaching the boys, hey, and it's funny, sometimes I'll just let them go extemporaneously and they freestyle, but sometimes I'm like, you can freestyle, but we're doing it according to this model. I'm like, we're going to do Acts prayer, and they're like, ah, ah. I'm like, okay, here we go. And Caleb will start out, God, you are loving 
You are awesome. You are gracious. You are kind. We love you, God. You just the attributes of who God is. We just exalt him. You've been so good to us, God. Adult versions be like, you've been good to me, God. You've been kind to me, and I don't deserve it. And I'm so, so grateful you're good. I love you, God. I just adore you. I lift you up. I put you in your rightful place. I'm, I'm worshiping you. I'm adoring God. Then it moves to confession. Where it's like, God, there's areas of sin in my life, and I am sorry for this. I'm sorry for what I did today. God, will you forgive me? I come here and I'm asking for your forgiveness to get today, God. And then you move to thanksgiving, which gratitude is a powerful thing. God, I'm grateful for this. Grateful for my family. The boys will be like, thank you for my bed. Thank you for our family. Thank you for our home. And they just kind of go, thank you, God, for this. I'm grateful for this. And then the last one's a little harder for them for whatever reason. Supplication's just a big word for God. We need your help. God, we need your help. Can you help me with this? Can you help my friends with this? We'll often talk before we pray. Who can we pray for that's going through something tough? We want to pray for them. This is supplication. God, help them. Help my brother. Help our community. Help my team. And then in Jesus' name, amen. This is the Acts prayer. You want, we want to learn how to pray, not just have a prayer team. Right? Because I've noticed something. I don't exactly know the connection between a bold life and a prayer life, but where you find one in the scripture, you find the other. There is a connection inextricably between a prayer life and a bold life. I was thinking about this, and even in Ephesians 6, 18 to 20, this verse actually comes after what we would know in the church as the armor of God. And you put on the armor of God in the morning and pray that breastplate of righteousness and the belt of truth and the feet shod with the preparation of the gospel, peace, the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Right after you pray that, this is also the armor of God. And this is the weapon of prayer. And he says, and pray in the spirit. We talked about the Holy Spirit last week on all occasions with all kinds of prayers. I love this, all kinds of prayers because you don't get into one kind of prayer. Sometimes I pray with my eyes open. Sometimes I, I write out prayers. Sometimes I'm praying for other people. Sometimes I'm just praying for myself. All kinds of prayers, all kinds of supplication or requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for the Lord's people. Prayer, prayer, prayer. Pray also for me. He's asking for prayer. Whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will boldly make known the mystery of the gospel. He wanted to be bold, so pray for me, for which I'm ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it with boldness as I should. A prayer life and a bold life go hand in hand. When people start praying, boldness starts showing up. You become fearless. You become courageous as people. I was thinking through the difference between a, a prayerful life and a prayerless life and this came to mind. I believe prayer keeps us conscious of God, submitted to God, controlled by God, working with God, dependent on God, and living for God with the fear of God. This is why we pray. 
so that we stay conscious and connected to him and submitted and controlled and working with him throughout the day, dependent on him, living for him in fear of him. That's what prayer does. In that posture in the morning when we go to the place of prayer and then we live with a prayerful life throughout the day, we're continually in his presence saying, God, I'm under you. You're over me. Fill me with boldness, God. I'm starting to get insecure. I'm going into a meeting. I know going into that meeting, Lord, I'm not going to be able to do this, but with your power, your boldness in me, God, I need you. I need you. They're called breath prayers throughout the day. Whatever you're going into, if it's a hard conversation, if it's a conflict conversation and you don't know how it's going to come out before you do that, you just submit yourself and say, we're going to do this together, God. I can't do this alone, but we can do this together. I'm raising these hellions, these little ingrates that I've got as children, God. I'm as a mom and in my own strength controlled by me doing what I want. I'm going to kill him, Lord. You got to come, Lord, to my aid. You have to be in me and with me, God. I am with you as I parent these kids. This is what you're doing throughout the day. Prayer is what pulls you through so you're bold and you don't buckle and you don't fold and give out and give up. The opposite of prayer is this. I believe prayerlessness keeps us the very opposite, conscious of people and what they think, submitted to their agendas, controlled by them in our spirits, dependent on people when we should be dependent on God and living for people to people please instead in the fear of people. Do you know what I'm saying? This, This is the difference between a life of prayer and a life of no prayer. It's who's going to be the one that's worshiped today. People or you, God? Who's going to be like the one who leads my life today? Am I going to be led by the clamoring, vying, crying noises and cacophony of the world? Or are you and your voice going to lead me, God? Because it's one or the other. And prayer is what gives us boldness. And it gives us boldness in this world because we're so connected and conscious of God that we're not connected and conscientious and self-conscious because of other people. When I pray, I'm not people-pleasing, I'm God-fearing. You see what this produced in Acts chapter 5, 28 and 29. As they were given orders, don't speak anymore in his name. We gave you strict orders, it's a gag order, not to teach anymore in his name. And at time, it wasn't just now that there's gag orders and suppressed speech and controlled speech. It's like back then, we're telling you, you can't do this anymore. He says, you filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man, this man Jesus' blood. And Peter and the other apostles, when they couldn't even stand up to a little girl who asked them if they were with Jesus, looked at the powers at that time and said, we must obey God rather than human beings. Is what I just said. It's either going to be God or human beings. You're going to do what God says because you fear him or you're going to do what human beings say because you fear them. And they're like, we're not controlled anymore by human beings. We're not even fearful of our life. God is the one who leads us and fills us now. We must obey God rather than human beings. That's bold. And only God's spirit can give us this freedom and peace and joy. The church of Acts had this divining spirit of boldness that marked them. 
And the modern church must tap into this biblical boldness if we expect the promises of God to be unleashed on our church and community, our marriages and our children, our nation and the world. I'm going to end with this quote by Horatius Bonner. I just love this quote. Uncertainty as to our relationship with God is one of the most enfeebling and dispiriting of things. It makes a person heartless. It takes the pith out of them. I love that. They cannot fight and they cannot run. They're easily dismayed and give way. They can do nothing for God. But when we know that we are of God, we are vigorous, brave, and invincible. And there is no more quickening truth than that of calm, bold assurance. Make us bold like the early church. Make us a people of prayer. God, I just thought we'd just do something as I close in prayer. Some of you today, you're like, my goodness, like anxiety and fear just paralyzed my life. Or I just, I'm bold about everything else. I'm just not bold about God. I had a guy say that afterward. He's like, I'm bold in every other arena of my life. For some reason, when it comes to God and his truth and the word of God and Christianity, something in me is cowardly. I'm a coward not courageous. And I just, I just feel like we're, we're going to be controlled and dominated by that prevailing spirit unless we say, God, fill me with your spirit and take me from what the disciples were before the spirit filled them and turn me into a person that has calm and openness and truth and freedom and joy and peace. So I want you to just Put out your hands today. I'm going to pray a prayer over us and for us that we'd become a church of prayer and a church of boldness as we leave today. God, we, we put out our hands to you because most of us, us clutch our hands in such a controlling way. Some of us here literally can't live our lives because we, we live based on how our kids are acting. And we can't control all their behavior. We can't control what our friends do and don't do. And because of that, we just are bound almost with like a codependent spirit on the world around us. We, we're vibrating with anger and fear and paranoia because of the news. And there's always something blowing up. And there's such a fear that's peddled in our world to keep us under the control of the spirit of this age, but God, we just let go of all those things that we actually are under the illusion that we're in control of, and we're not. And we just place you on the throne, God. You're in control of our lives. We come underneath you and say, God, free me from the affliction of what other people think. Free me from the affliction of things outside of my control, the outcomes I cannot control Free me from my friends and my family and my co-workers, God, that just get me all bound up and all knotted up inside. God, may I come underneath you. We just release our hands and open our hands and say, God, make us people of boldness. Even as we pray to you now, God, come, stretch out your hand as they prayed for you to do. Heal, do awesome things and wonders in our midst. Start with our own heart. Free us, God, from the way we're inextricably bound to wanting to please human beings instead of you. And may our hearts say we must obey God 
rather than human beings. Make us a church of boldness. Make our families places of boldness, God, today, we pray. We pray it by your spirit, filled with your spirit, and in the name of Jesus Christ, the boldest person in the world. Amen. Amen. Hey, you're dismissed today. Thanks for coming.